Hello and welcome to Inside Motorsport. This week on the show we look at the promoter and commentator, Mike Raymond. I hope you'll stay with us. One of the most famous names in motorcycle speedway that came to Liverpool City Raceway is Ollie Olsen and I'm, I have the pleasure to speak to him now. The great Dane himself, three times world speedway champion and uh, Ollie, you've built up such a uh, interesting relationship with Mike over the years. Yeah, surely. Greg, uh, obviously it was uh, very sad news, you know, about Mike uh, and um, you know, we were, we were you know, very sad, everybody here, because we had a very, very close relationship to him for many, many years, and uh, and Carol as well, you know. So um, he was um, he was the one that uh, sort of came over. First time I met Mike was in uh, Wimbledon Speedway in uh, in, ni- in the 1970, and uh, he came up to me and he said to me that. Um, uh, would you like to come to Australia? I would like to bring you out there and uh, do some meeting and organize that for you. And I said, well, you know, I'd love that. And um, so uh, he organized all that. And uh, I came out there the first time was in um, uh, November uh, 1970. And uh, I remember he was obviously, uh, you know, he's a good promoter and he promoted things well for the motorcycle sport, particularly and speedway. And uh, he announced me as a new coming world champion. And uh, I was a bit sort of, you know, I said, well, keep it a bit low key, Mike. You haven't won it yet. No, but you will, he said. And then, uh, obviously, uh, when I won the world title in 1971, first one, it it was fantastic. But um, uh, great person, Mike. He, He did so much for us, our family as well. And uh, he's been to Denmark, him and Carl, several times. And uh, obviously, points, you know, he's been over there. So uh, we, we have so many great memories. So obviously, sad that he only had to, that he had to pass away at 76, which was far too early. You became a promoter. And I, I imagine that having someone like Mike to be able to talk to and to, to work through problems with was a valuable asset. Oh yeah, he was. Uh, he 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 was obviously a fantastic promoter, you know, and uh, and he worked. I mean, Liverpool Speedway and all that. He he promoted all us out in Australia. I mean, uh, he organised about uh, twenty five, thirty meetings for me around Australia and uh, New Zealand. And uh, when I built Wines in in the nineteen seventy five. Obviously, you know, I talked a lot about Mike, about different things and all that on, uh, on the promoting side and uh, learned a lot from him. And obviously, uh, at that time, uh, you know, we had the, he was on the radio every day, you know, the 2K White Country, I always remember, and Channel 7. So uh, he, he promoted Speedway very well. And um, obviously, and I remember all the acts he made as well. He was fantastic to promote it. And uh, he's famous for this, be there. And uh, I did some uh, TV acts in Denmark and all that. I finished off uh, with that one as well, be there. So, so no, it, it was, and uh, his humor was fantastic, you know. It was never a dull moment with Mike, you know, and he, he was fantastic. But also... Um, uh, very honest, and uh, he wanted to to do good promotion and speci- for the spectators and all that. So the events became fantastic. Obviously, also uh, what he was for the world title, he was always keen on bringing big events out to Australia. And when he uh, organised the world best pairs in 1982 up at Liverpool, where there was built a, a special FIM track and everything was fantastic. Understanding how Speedway is overseas, when you came to Liverpool and you were not just, it wasn't just a, uh, a solo event, it was solos and four-wheel tri- uh, four-wheel cars on the track. Had you been racing at Speedway meetings where you had to share the, share the billing? Well, in Denmark, when the first started, we did have similar ones, uh, similar meetings, but they were sort of different type of cars. Obviously, 
I was always very impressed by 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 the midgets and the sprint cars and and all that. I thought they were fantastic, and also the sidecar boys uh, always looked forward to when they were racing. I thought it was a great combination of the dirt sport that uh, so many things could happen there. Well, Ollie, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, as I know, it's a sad week, and uh, and I, I can imagine it's hurting you not to actually be able to get down here for the funeral. Yeah, that's unfortunately, uh, it, uh, you know, I can't. And uh, obviously, we are thinking about him. And, uh, uh, you know, I've talked to him not long ago. I talked quite regular with him, uh, you know, uh, uh, different things, obviously, on the Grand Prix side. And he was always involved uh, closely to that. And we always had some, after the Grand Prix, I got a note of this was no good or this should be a bit better and things. But... Uh, uh, Mike, he he was, uh, you know, he would be sadly missed. You know, we we're missing him, uh, and uh, every time. But we will look at the the great memories we've had with him, and the, and I'm glad he came down to Melbourne twice, you know, and saw the Grand Prix there, and also uh, he's been to Denmark. So, so uh, you know, we, we we shared a lot of things, and we learned a lot from Mike. So. Uh, Obviously, our biggest condolence and deep feelings for for the family, you know, for Lyndall and uh, Andy and uh, Andrew and uh, and Carol. So, um, yeah, it is sad, but uh, you know that's how life goes. Thank you very much for your time, Ollie Olson. No problem at all, and all the best there. I'm joined now by Ronald Mackay, the most successful speed car driver in the history of a Liverpool City Raceway, national champion. And uh, Ronald, it's been sad news this week where the uh, Mike Raymond's passing. And well, I know that you and the the family had a long relationship with Liverpool Speedway, and also with Mike Raymond. Yeah, yeah, we sort of go back years and years, but um, the first time that I actually heard of Mike Raymond was uh, he'd done a record when our cars won at Tracy Speedway in Victoria and I listened to it and it was very exciting to listen to and um, from then on he was the voice of Speedway sort of thing and he always made even a race that wasn't so good made it sound very interesting yeah so this would have been your father's cars with who driving Oh, well, he was the announcer out at the Speedway when um, Johnny Harvey and Andy McGavin and that used to race. And, you know, when he came along, he was sort of, you know, he, he was a lift for Speedway, I think, you know. It was just, it was something different that they didn't have before. And and um, he, made, he made it sort of a lot better. And everybody, you know, sort of that knew, knew well, there's not many announcers that people could say the name of, but everybody knew Mike Raymond, mm. you know? Well, he certainly was working at the showground for a while before he got into promotions with Frank Oliveri. Yeah, yeah, well, he was, he was, you know, the announcer at the showground, and then he um, he went to Frank Oliveri at Liverpool Speedway as the promoter, yeah. You being a Liverpool boy, obviously the Speedway there was something that you were getting onto as quick as you could coming from a Speedway family. Yeah, yeah, well, I, that's where I started racing at Liverpool and um, I, I always thought it was one of the best tracks going around and, uh, you know, they sort of, they made it so that it was sort of good for the fans and, uh, you know, good for the, it was good entertainment and it sort of kept a lot of people off the streets from around the Liverpool area and surrounding districts. You had an opportunity to through uh, the promotions that they did there to race against some amazing drivers, not only nationally, but when you think you're racing Johnny Rutherford, a winner of Indy that same year, AJ Foyt, winner of Indy that same year. Um, there's some pretty incredible names and Barry Butterworth over from, or both the Butterworths over from New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, well, we, we sort of raced, raced all those things your father did too. And, uh, you know, they were all, all good, Mel Kenyon. In, he was incredible in the midgets, and Bob Tattersall, who was who was the you know the, the big name in in Speedway for many years from America. But um, yeah, it was 
good. Mike, Mike just brought, he brought out anyone that was any good, he'd bring them out to Australia and, um, and promote it, you know, where that doesn't happen these days. They sort of, the promotions don't promote it as good as what he did. And what he'd done for motorsport was just unbelievable. Yeah. What did you think when you get told we're going to make the Liverpool Speedway Asheville? Yeah, well, that was sort of, um, you know, I, I didn't know about it until it actually happened, but uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a good idea at the time. And, and he promoted it very well, you know. It was sort of, it tried at other places and didn't go so good, but it went well at Liverpool. He told me that they knew exactly what they had by way of an Asheville Speedway when they saw Ronald McKay on the track for the very first time. Yeah, well, I was, I think I was the first one to have a run on it. And um, our cars weren't quite set up for it, but, you know, it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't take long for it to take off. Asheville Speedway Racing then uh, grew for a little while in Australia and particularly in New South Wales. Yeah, yeah, well, it was it was very spectacular to watch. Uh, you know, the race, racing was a bit closer and and the, um, you know, a lot of passing and stuff like that. So it made for good entertainment and, and he promoted it very well, you know, with sedans and the... Uh, the midgets, you know, it was a, a really good night at Liverpool Speedway, yeah. Were you still racing when he tore up the Asheville? I had, I had two runs on it after it wasn't Asheville, yeah. When I went back to Clay, or when it went to Clay? Yeah. Did it feel the same or was it, you know, it, did it lose something when it changed back? Um, well, I only run on it twice and once I car trouble and the other time I nearly won the race that was my first race back from an accident and um, I come second but um, it sort of was similar but it wasn't I think I think it was really good when it was dirt too you know but um, it was a real driver's trap when it was dirt yeah and of course uh, he, he was always trying things with three abreast starts and then the pit lane down on the uh, inside of the D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He always he always done something, but he was he he would promote the speedway. You know, he was sort of out getting people. You know, sort of around the the district to sort of get behind it. And he would he'd get cars to go to schools and promote it at schools so they knew what was going on. Where uh, it doesn't happen these days. Yeah. Now, the Mackay family is certainly uh, a huge family in speed car racing in Australia. Up to, what, your fourth generation involved in speed cars now? Yeah, we've, we've got um, my father race. I, I race. Then uh, my sons have had a run and got grandsons racing as well. But we're just waiting on one coming back now, which we're having with trouble with Speedway Australia, trying to get him released so he can race again, yeah. Mm. Of course, uh, your grandson had a, a, a very significant accident last year. Yeah, 2018 he had had a uh, bad accident at uh, Parramatta, but he, he's overcome that and um, he's as fit as a fiddle now, but they're just waiting on, uh, you know, I don't know, people looking at what he's got to do to race again, yeah. Have you lost any passion for Speedway? No, I, I, I lost a little bit of passion for Speedway in the 90s. The, the midgets, to me, didn't, um, they didn't race. They sort of just went round. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it wasn't sort of racing. It was more survival on the clay and um, now they're bringing back the tracks so that they're raceable and I think John Kelly in Queensland is doing one of the best jobs around yeah if for a long time speed cars were the preeminent division in Speedway of course Parramatta and the sprint car era particularly in New South Wales took over 
But what has been interesting is the way that people have come back to um, come back to speed cars, and even the great Gregory Rush himself said, you know, the speed cars are certainly uh, a technical and difficult car to drive. Yeah, speed cars are sort of, you know, they're they're just just on the right amount of power, where a sprint car's got a lot more power, and you can control the problem a bit better. Where a speed car, you haven't got as much power, but you've got to use your head a little bit more and to drive them. But um, yeah, I I think the the racing that we're seeing in the last few years is probably the best racing that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, from the speed cars. Now, of course, one thing that Mike did with the speed cars was uh, he got them, well, he got us all to put wings on the damn things. What was your thought of that era? It, just to try to stop them sort of bouncing around as much when they fell over. But uh, yeah, they've increased. They've increased the the midgets and the the whole thing. They've increased the uh, you know the drivers' livability, if you want to call it that way. The um, you know over the years because like you know. When I first, my father first took me to the speedway, they never even had bowl bars. And, you know, if you fell over in a, in a speed car in those days, you, there was a good chance you didn't uh, come back, you know. But uh, these days, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's a lot safer than what it used to be. And, like, they have, they have big crashes at, at, you know, you know, sort of fairly, fairly fast speeds and they just get out and walk away, yeah. Well, Ronald, thanks very much for sharing some of your memories with us here today. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I, I sort of, I'll always remember that record that I, I heard of Mike Raymond doing Tracy Speedway and, and like... I'm joined by Greg Kentwell, who right throughout the 60s and 70s was running Speedway and you would dealing with Mike Raymond quite a quite a bit over that period of time. And, Greg, uh, the sad news that he has uh, passed away last week has probably got everyone reflecting on their involvement with Mike and Liverpool City Raceway. Well, that's true. And Mike particularly in all forms of motorsport. You know, has there ever been anyone that's done as much for motorsport as Mike Raymond? Personally, myself, he did a lot for me. He was very, very good to me. He brought me back from England to ride for Liverpool. And that was a terrific time. And he also let me go and ride in the test matches. And him and Frank had, a, had just had a wonderful turnout at Liverpool. You couldn't have got a better setup. You, you often think if Mike would have stopped at the showground, it'd probably still be running, wouldn't it? You were racing in England, and for a lot of Speedway riders, you'd be racing five or six races a week in, in some cases, just moving all over, not only England, but some of you guys were going up into Denmark and Sweden. And, well, and... there wasn't in those days, there wasn't too many of us going to Europe because it was still it was closed off wasn't open like it is today with the riders. The only people that really went over the year, it was like Ivan and, and Barry Briggs. You mentioned he brought you back from England. How hard was that conversation to get you home? He was talking to you over winter, I guess. Well, I'd been riding at the Shadowground the year before and Sherwood wasn't interested in importing any riders. So I intended to stop in England and then I got a call, phone call from Frank Oliveri, which was via Mike, and said, would you like to come and ride at my track? I said, I'd love to. He said, well, is it all right if you hop on a plane and I'll pay you your fare when you get here? I said, that is terrific. He said, you don't know me. I said, I certainly do know you, Frank. Everyone knows you. And, and that was the beginning of it. And then each and every year I came back. Mike's genius for promotion is probably what a lot of people have heard his voice and, and seen what he did. But what was he like dealing with that in that one-on-one and what riders needed at a track where it, Liverpool was that bit different, the asphalt track on the outside and the bike track on the inside? Well, when we first went there for the first few years, it was always the dirt track. 
the big D-shaped dirt. But, I mean, to say he's the only promoter in the world that brought every world champion out to one meeting, except for one, at, and they all came out on Mike and Frank's word. You know, they didn't have to have a contract. That's how good they were. That's how much people thought of them. Riding on a track. Did you ride on many tracks with them outside fence? Oh, yeah, sure. Oh. Halifax that I rode for in England, that had a fence, had a steel fence on the outside. <laughs> you don't want to be hitting that. Well, it all depends what angle you hit it at because you would slide down it. It didn't have anything to grab you. You know, sometimes a timber fence will, will grab you if you slide along it, you know? Mm-hmm. But as long as they're smooth, it's, it's a lot better. But if you sort of went straight in, it wouldn't be very good at all. Oh, one story that he, he told me, actually, you were at the Legends of Liverpool event, and I spoke to him after that. And he was talking about how the motorcycle, I don't know if it was Motorcycle Australia back then, but uh, how they didn't yeah. like the fact there was, wasn't an outside fence at Liverpool that you could come off the bike and slide up the, the bitumen. And uh, well, he ended up asking you guys to ride black. Now, he used the word ride black, but perhaps you can actually explain what that meant if you were doing that. Well, the whole thing is Motorcycle Australia, or it was, I think it was the ACU in those days. I mean, say, so how dumb would you be when most of your injuries around fences, you get a track with no fence and they don't want you to run on it because you haven't got a fence to hit? Like... You cannot believe that. So the idea is, if we just, what they said, if, if we rode there, they'd take our licence off us. Well, they took our Australian licence. What did it matter? Who cared, you know? By the time we went back to England, I'm sure the English promoters wouldn't have <laughs> wouldn't have put up with us not having a licence. So that was it. We, we supported Mike and Frank, and it was just supported common sense, really. Yeah. I mean, to say, if you're going to hit a fence and you get hurt, but if there's no fence to hit, you've got chance to lay your bike down or slide up another track. Like, it's not real rocket science, is it? Mm. But did that mean at that period of time that the only riders at Liverpool were the riders that were basically Liverpool riders? It meant other riders couldn't come or, or wouldn't come because it was off the books? No, 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 no. In the end... Um, they got on to uh, the FIM, and I, I believe the FIM overruled Australia, the Australian ACU, or whatever it was at the time, and they licensed it. Mm. So it was only, I think, the, I don't think there was any more than one or two meetings without the license. At what age did you take the plunge and, and move over to England to, to race over there? Oh, I think I was about 22, 66 when I went over there. You don't just go over there on a lark. How were you measuring yourself to make that decision that a cl- you could get a ride with a club there? Well, in those days, Bobby Sharp used to line everyone up because he knew the English promoters from riding over there himself and he was quite good friends with Reg Fearman and Mike Parker. So he'd previously got... Jim Airy and Gordon Gasco and Bobby Jamison and Bert Kingston uh, over there, and then I was sort of the next one. And what's that life like? What's it like? It's a hard life. <laughs> it was look, it was hard, but it was good. And probably the first thing you learned when you rode in England, it took you about six weeks to learn it, and that was to, to do unto others, only do it first. <laughs> so it worked. Was it a more physical? Was it a lot, you know, a lot more elbows, a lot more feet yes. at the other riders than what we have here? Yeah, 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 definitely. Do you... you have to remember in those days, it, it was sort of just kicking off, having like a rebirth in England. And a lot of the English riders weren't very happy that us Aussies got our fares paid over there, you know. They didn't like it at all. Did you even the block, even the riders in your own team, you know? Traditionally, uh, we think of a speedway in Australia, and we think of a quarter mile speedway. Uh, of course, the showground was a, a, what a third. Yes. Did you race long track as well as short track over there, or were you? No, 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 no. 
now. I do. The only thing, the only speedway bloke amongst us, I think, that rode long track in those days was Ivan and Gordon Gaskell. Was there any Your reason why you didn't? Called grass track in those days. And they, they were the tracks up to what a mile? Yeah, they were sort of. Uh, yeah, you had uh, su- suspension, full suspension on the bike, front and back, and brakes, and all of that. They you, even had a gearbox. You you raced in a, an amazing time. You keep mentioning Ivan and Ivan's, obviously his record is uh, is absolutely first class. What was what was the the quality like across the board with when you go into some of the other the clubs? Did they ride right down to five? Yeah. Oh, look, the, the quality of them was was first. Of, all the tracks were in first division then. I think there was twenty one by memory. I'm pretty sure that's right. There was twenty one tracks in first division. So you had your home and away meetings, and they were all, they were all hard riders because every team had at least <laughs> at least ten or more blokes trying to get in a team for seven. You know, so you had to be you had to really be on top of it. You know, coming back then most summers to Australia, did that give you a big leg up over the rest of these Aussies having had that many races in the winter? Oh yeah, winter? of course, and it did. And of course, riding here in the English winter, when you went back to England, you were that much. You were you were race fit when you went back, so it was a big help both ways. Ollie Olsen was a, a regular that you were up against, uh, particularly oh, here at Liverpool. He's a good friend of mine, Ollie. Yeah, and I've, I've been at stop there. He's been at stop with me plenty of times, you know. And I was just talking to him last night, actually. And he's a bit disappointed. He he just hasn't got there's not enough hours for him to get over here for the service tomorrow. Yeah, Mike certainly. Uh was a big Ollie Olsen fan, and I guess that's the thing. He always knew how to promote someone and get uh, get a, a very mutually beneficial relationship. Well, of course, well, from I, you know, I don't know what arrangements he had with other people, but I've never, never ever come across anyone that's had a bad word against him in, you know, in top line competitors, and. Um, Ollie thought the world of Mike, you know, and they both, well, they both thought the world of each other. They talked two or three times, you know, four times a year, you know, and I think Mike helped Ollie a bit when he started promoting Voyance in Denmark. And uh, actually, Ollie built it on a similar style, if you ever see it on television, to the old Liverpool with the grandstand and the referee's box up the top and all the rest of it. When you look at the Speedway Grand Prix now, do you uh, do you still follow it, or is it just? Oh a... yeah, still follow it. Yeah, and it's like having a world championship every round. <laughs> what do you think of of particularly uh, Holder, Doyle, Bachelor, all those guys? Well, see, it's a different era. You can't compare it to our era. Everything's totally different. But we were more or less sportsmen. Where they're just professionals. And they're, they're just total professionals. They're really managing directors of their own companies because what they have to do, the travel, the engines, the staff, you know, everything they've got lined up, they have to do it. It's, it's more than a sport now. It's, it's a total business. I take it when you were racing, the club was providing most of the mechanics and, and all that sort of support? Oh, no. The club used to uh, buy you on tyres and that, that's about all. They never supported anything like that, no. Okay. You did that yourself. Even in the even in that club situation, you were still an individual rider? Yeah. Well, Halifax was a successful club. I think it won the league twice, by memory, and it was always in the top three or four, and that's because every every rider at Halifax was a total individual. <laughs> You know, and that that was that was actually the success of it because we were that busy trying to beat each other, we didn't really worry about the opposite team that much. <laughs> Off air, we talked about Jim Airy, and he was another uh, fierce competitor, particularly on the on the shale at Liverpool. Yeah, Jim was well. Jim was a top Australian. He was top Australian for it. He was an Australian captain. He was an extremely good captain for Australia, and. and it, it always took precedent over everything, the fact that he represented Australia. He did a good job and he sort of, he wasn't like us, you know. He was just Mr Straight and Narrow 
because he was holding the Australian flag wherever he went, whatever country, whether it was in America or England or riding different interstates here in Australia. He uh, he was the top captain and the top Australian, you know. So you were you were able to have a bit more fun. We we were a little bit different. Yes, we didn't follow by example. You could say. Greg, it's been wonderful to catch up with you and uh, hear some of these memories, and we wish you all the best. Okay, it's just a sad time for poor old Mike. It's a bit early, you know. It's too early for him, really, and for the things he did. Just you even got to reflect on the fact that he brought AJ Foyt out here. Like, what you know? Who who in the world else could do that? You know, the things the man did were incredible. But uh, anyhow, there's one thing you he'll be talked about for years and years and years and years for the achievements he's, he did in motorsport, won't he? He'll never, never be gone from our memories. Dennis Newland is one of the long-time journalists who's been covering motorsport for the majority of his life. And we talk to you now, in a sad way, about the life and times of Mike Raymond. But I know, Dennis, that he had an influence on your career. Yes, uh, that's exactly right, uh, Craig. Very, very early on, in fact, uh, 1967, to be precise. And, of course, in those days, uh, Mike Raymond was uh, very prominent in the media. He was on television and uh, radio covering Speedway. And, of course, uh, in the Daily Mirror, he was the Speedway correspondent. And uh, pretty well every day, the afternoon Daily Mirror newspaper in Sydney carried a Speedway story with the Mike Raymond byline. And uh, this captured my imagination and, and put a mindset or a desire in place. And, uh, I mean, uh, every Friday afternoon, it was compelling reading his weekly Speedway column as well as all his news stories earlier in the week. So um, I've got a few articles in some Speedway publications around 66 and into 67, and, and I kind of inspired, it inspired me a bit to, uh, I'd known, got to know Mike by that time, and I rang him at the Sydney Showground Empire Speedway's office. And uh, it was not overly a long conversation, uh, I must say, but um, it, was, it was very poignant and um, very definite how Mike approached things. I... Uh, I spoke to him about his coverage in Sydney newspapers and um, how he managed to unlock doors and et cetera, et cetera. And I was, I was at about 17 or 18 at the time. And, uh, and I, I kind of indicated, well, what, what is the secret of success or how does one young bloke in the Greenacre suburb of Western Sydney go about trying to get into this kind of area? And, uh, <laughs> Mike uh, very much uh, called a spade a spade and um, there's nothing wrong with that but um, he said to me well he said Dennis <clears throat> he said uh, if you want it knock on doors and make it happen <laughs> and, and I think it's probably the best piece of advice I've ever been given um, because in I might add, it didn't happen straight away. I knocked on doors, all right, to every sports editor, editor-in-chief, associate editor, features editor, head of sport, and all the doors were locked. <laughs> and I was just beginning to question if I was ever going to do anything uh, in a Sydney paper on Speedway. And then one day a door opened. And Mike's words were very profound and came back to me so clearly last Saturday, November 9, two days after he passed away. Craig, there was a tribute news item in the Daily Telegraph sports pages last Saturday, okay? You know who wrote it? I did. So there you go. It's 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 just defies, it's eerie, It's it's kind of something that, you know, I'd thought about a lot over the years and I never thought one day, one day there would be something in the paper about a tribute to Mike Raymond and, and least of all, I would actually write it. And all those memories of that phone call in the showground office way back in 1967 came flooding back. So, you know, we've all got stories about Mike Raymond. That's my story. I've got to say also in 1968, he did help me... Uh, 
He gave me a letter of introduction to Kimber Nyson. I went over there for the 1968 Craven Fielder South Australian speed car round. Your dad actually raced in it and filled the placing, I might add. And uh, uh, he gave me a letter of introduction to Kimber Nyson. I got an admission ticket. I got entry into the pits. I got entry into an area that was reserved. It was not for the general public. It was in the main straightaway seating area. And, um, you know, Mike Mike was instrumental in doing that. Um, so, you know, I guess uh, what can you say about the man? Like, I mean, that's just my personal stories, which, which you know, a lot of people got greater stories than I, but I think what it typifies, um, you know, he was he was um, a, a man who had in tremendous success. And, and, and I guess in, in his earlier years, if you wanted advice and, and right through his life, in fact, he, he gave advice to a lot of people, Craig. He really did. He did. He mentored so many people in both television and commentary roles. And we see people like Lee Diffie, Neil Crompton, um, all having built tremendous careers off off the experiences that he was able to impart to them to be able to go and do it. Yes, yes. Well, Mike Raymond's forte and, and a natural talent was was commentating and writing and and uh look i'll just tell you a very brief story uh and i think it's it speaks for everything that everyone says um uh, and i might add that the story came from a man of, of incredible stature from days of yesteryear john sherwood at empire speedway sydney showground now i bought his photo collection in 1983 it was and um, um, I was uh, speaking with him at his house after buying his collection, and I was always intrigued about Mike Raymond's entry onto the announcing scene at the Sydney Showground and how it all came about. And uh, John Sherwood, or as everyone I think used to call him in those days, Mr Sherwood, (laughs) told me this incredible story, and I'll just give you, make it, just the edited highlights, but, but... he, he, he was, Mike was keen to get a go at the Sydney Showground in 1962. And, and they had some commentators there who probably of the era, nothing against them at all, but they probably were just very staid and, and very ABC-ish, shall we say. Um, and, and it probably just didn't suit the excitement of Speedway. So anyway, um, Mike said, look, I'll just, you know, give me one race a speed car race and and see what you think and and uh, anyway he did and of course uh, you know it was it was a whole new world of, of color and excitement and, and and showmanship and mike had all the flair and the the descriptions of the drivers and the cars and the owners and the history all rolled into one perfect commentary package so virtually straight away he got the job as the announcer at the Sydney showground, and and um, uh, according to John Sherwood, allegedly, Mike later said, well, i got a brother too who can do the same thing, Steve Raymond, of course, and we know Steve's great history in the media as well. So, you know, like, what can you say? I mean, there's, 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 um, look, Mike Raymond was, was very much a, um, a straight shooter. He called a spade a spade. Um, and, and, you know, uh, whatever it demanded, he would tell you, you know, good, bad or indifferent. He was like that. But as far as his ability is concerned, he, he, his earlier years, of course, he was aligned with SCO, the Stock Car Owners and Drivers Association. And, and I can remember seeing him at Westmead and Windsor, particularly in those early of late fifties. And, and, you know, he, he was destined, you could just see this, this man, this young fella, had had destiny was destined to go somewhere in the sport and and then of course he aligned himself with the national speed car club and um then you know in those very early 60s got a radio program and that was the former runner on 2ky then of course it's documented history atn channel 7 one hour television coverage which which started in 1965 and ran through 66 into 67 and then, you know, it went over to Channel 10 and Mike was the commentator with Jim Shepard at Channel 10 television. And then, of course, at Sports World on back on seven. And that's where he became senior executive, a, a senior 
sports executive of the network. His Bathurst 1000 coverage is legendary. He's, he's in camera uh coverage which which commenced in 1979 was a world first um you look the uh, craig the list goes on and on and and his years at liverpool city raceway like he he got his first full-time gig in in speedway as pr manager at the sydney showground and that started around 1964 and of course um you know he 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 turned it around. As I said, he got the TV, he got the radio, he got the, he got his column in the newspaper. Uh, it just it just absolutely spiralled and 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 reached well not sorry not spiralled it, it reached lofty heights uh, I should say and uh, uh, you know the sky was the limit and and coverage in Sydney as we all remember the halcyon golden era of the sixties. Well, it was Mike Raymond Craig who got it who did it. You know, and and we know that. And what followed on from 1969 until 1989 at Liverpool City Raceway, again, he just lifted the place. Um, you know, its earlier years it opened in 67, 68. Well, well, it was it was just a circuit. But when Mike came on the scene, and we know too well, you know, only too well, the how Liverpool, the place of pace became the mecca of Australian Speedway when he, he imported AJ Foyt, Johnny Rutherford, um, the, the the list goes on and on and on and on. The the, the FIM nineteen eighty two World Pairs Championship uh, for bikes, uh, a world first um, look, it, it just goes on and on, you know. The Grand National Sedan America versus Australia test matches. Uh, yeah, look, you know, how, how, how can you not be impressed with this man for what he did? You know, um, just, just quite incredible. It really is. He brought the Asphalt Speedway to Australia, yes. which was yes, he did. revolutionary. And you mentioned yep. A.G. Foyt, Johnny Runniford, Mel Kenyon, Larry Rice. Yep. These yep. names yep. Are, are legendary yep. in America and yep. in Australia because of the work he was able to do. And yep. remembering right. how fractious Speedway promotion was, yep. he was that person who could galvanise a, galvanise a group, which I guess when he focused his mind on touring car racing, that was uh, his biggest legacy. Yep, that's exactly exactly right. Yeah, look, look. Uh, what can you say? You know, um, I mean, just just incredible um, what he achieved. Uh, an incredible natural talent. I think, I think from the very earliest beginning, this this bloke was a natural talent. There's no no doubt about it. You know, and uh, uh, his legendary status. I mean, he was inducted into the uh, Australian Speedway Hall of Fame in um, 2008. And uh, he, um, he also, um, uh, he was inducted into the Australian Motorsport Hall of Fame in 2018 and the Legends Lane induction that same year. So, so you know, um, yeah, what, what can say? He was awarded an OAM for his services to motorsport in 1996. Uh, you know, just just incredible, mm. absolutely incredible. And he's one of, I think, only three Australians that is in the Knoxville Sprint Car Hall yep. of Fame. He's That's also correct. in correct. the uh, Supercar Media Association Hall of Fame. Yep. There wouldn't be yep. too many that haven't got the name Mike Raymond on oh, their yeah. honour roll uh, for yeah, the work exactly he's done right. across so many different disciplines. But yeah. Dennis, yep. one of the things that I, I have had a chance to speak to Greg Kempwell about was the fact yeah. that he could put a dirt speedway in a, a, a bike track inside an asphalt yep. speedway, yep. but yep. that caused the ire of the officiating body who yep. didn't like a track without a wall. And yep. Greg Kempwell explained to us about running black. He wasn't afraid to push the boundaries on what the... No. Uh, no. organising bodies might have wanted. The other case yep. in point is speed car racing traditionally, you know, had, didn't even have a roll bar, moved to a roll cage. Yep. Yep. And he went 
and got them all to put wings on their car. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, yeah, yeah. Look, it, 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 you can just go on and on. You know, Craig. There's so many stories. Do you? So can you tell us a bit of the background on that story? Well, yeah. Look, it, it was a controversial thing, and and Mike, it's right. You know, Mike, Mike would would insist on something, and and if he clashed with an association, he would virtually just go ahead and do it anyway. And and of course, wings and all the rest of it were a bit of a uh, you know they they weren't keen on that, but but Mike was very much a part of trying to make things safer for Speedway. He'd seen too many fatalities and close friends die, and that's when roll cages and 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 wings were you know another safety device that he was looking at. It's it, oh look, it's it's just a lot of things, um, but but that's probably just one of many things you know that that came along and eras and all the rest of it, you know. I mean, just, just an amazing person that really is. Yeah, he, he did. Sorry, he then went and worked at Parramatta, which, of course, for many years was the rival track, a bit like yeah. Liverpool and, and the Sydney yeah. Showground. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly right. And, uh, uh, yeah, he, he did, and uh, he lifted Parramatta City Raceway, his... his, his introduction of sponsorship uh, peter jackson uh came in uh you know the marlborough people marlborough grand national uh you know he he he, he was a great operator in the corporate world and and we talk about we talk about his achievements in speedway as far as writing and commentating but he was a corporate mover and shaker as well and and you know major corporations uh uh, in the year of cigarette company sponsorship, well, well, Mike had them all, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, he he just had this ability to to uh, to get sponsors. Um, there's no question of that. The Marlboro Grand National, for example, uh, and and you know, a Marlboro track hosting a round of the Winfield Sprint Car Series, but you know, at the end of the night, everyone went away happy. Rival cigarette companies, even. Yeah, this this is legendary stuff, no doubt about it. And um, known known worldwide. And another relationship which hasn't been talked about too much was his relationship with Steve Kinzer, which became oh, quite close. a close one. Well, there's two competitors in Speedway, both Americans. Mike had an incredibly close friendship with, of course, the legendary, the late great Bob Tattersall. And in later years, Steve Kinzer, uh, those two. And, of course, uh, Mike, in, in uh, you know, later years after Bob die, died, he kept in contact with his widow, Dolores, or Dee Tattersall. They were close to the family, close. Dee was close to the Raymond family, um, but, but he was a close, very, very, very close friend of Bob Tattersall and Steve Kinzer, yes. You're exactly right. So, incredible man, really. I mean, you know, oh, look, he would uh, he would ruffle some feathers. I'm, and you know, you you know, Mike called a spade a spade. If and some people may not have liked what he actually had to say, but you know, that was, you know, that was the way Mike did business. You know, um, and so you know, you you can't you can't knock him for that. Um, you know, he, he was, he was the ringmaster and, and he presented Australian Speedway with the best shows. He learnt from John Sheward at the Sydney showground in the sixties and a natural talent, a great teacher. It all came together and we saw the benefits from right through and into, into touring cars and, and naturally all the television coverage that followed, mm. you know. So, uh, yeah, a uh, great man, a, a very sad loss to Australian and world motorsport. Dennis, it's been a pleasure to get your thoughts here on Inside Motorsport. Thanks very much, Craig. Good to be on your show. Mike Raymond had more influence in motorsport than just Speedway. John Bow speaks about some of his reflections of being in and around the Touring Car Series with Mike Raymond, the head of the television coverage, not only as the head of sport for ATN7 in Sydney, but also as the chief commentator of the Shell Touring Car Series. 
Well, when I first got into touring car racing, which was in the mid-80s with the Volvo team, Mike was the, you know, the voice of touring car racing and he was a terrific guy, very talented. He wasn't just a commentator, he was actually very clever and behind the scenes he was instrumental in, in what became V8 Supercar. So it is very sad, you know, he, he was quite active on social media and I used to read his stuff with interest because he was so articulate, you know, it's, uh, it's a terrible loss for him and his family. Yeah. Well, he had a great sense of theatre. You know, he was really vibrant. I, when Dick Johnson and I won Bathurst in 89, he was talking to me as I crossed the line. So that'll always be a, you know, a very fond memory for me. Well, he put uh, motorsport, you know, into the, the, the public's lounge room, really. You know, before Mike and before Seven, motorsport was on the fringes, you know, there was a little bit on the ABC occasionally, but not much, where all of a sudden it was there. They used to do these big, you know, intros. You know, I remember Gary Wilkinson climbing out of the lake at Lakeside, and I didn't want to get in the lake, but, and that was all Mike Raymond, you know, that was the creativity that he had. So very, very sad. He wasn't very old either. So, so my sympathy goes to all his friends and all his family. Craig Lowndes had his reflections on Mike Raymond. Uh, look, yeah, it's a really sad day. I think that um, I heard late last night about what had happened and Mike was part of my beginnings of when I got involved with what it was then, the Shell Touring Car Series, and uh, and uh, he was the voice behind everything. It was not only just the, the touring cars, at Speedway, he just loved motorsports. So, yeah, very sad time and, you know, to his family, extend a, uh, um, you know, condolence. He had a, a unique voice and whenever you didn't matter if you couldn't see him and you could hear that voice, you knew exactly who it was. He was so passionate about the sport. He loved the sport. He loved talking about it. Uh, he embraced it. Uh, and, and look, and he talked me up and a lot of the young guys up. And I remember back in 94 when I passed, uh, you know, John Bow for the lead of the race. And, you know, I remember that I, and I still look back on some of those times and the footage and everything else. And he's just his voice and just electrified what fans felt about the sport. He also talked about the influence that Mike had on what is now supercars today. Well, yeah, I think, yes, uh, and it was a great transition into that sort of period. As I said, it started off almost like, I remember Group A days, and then it was the touring car days, and now it's supercar days, and, and you know, he was a very big force, a push and force for that that naming and, and that recalling of what we now know um, and look he just it was just a, it's a huge legacy to, to have lost someone like that it had so much for the sport. Famous speaker driver Howard Ravel once said to me Mike Raymond as a promoter could make or break any division of Speedway and on occasions did. Speedcar racing in the 60s had such a following due to Mike Raymond and his columns in the paper. Our thoughts go out to Carol, Lindell and Andrew Raymond who survived Mike and of course his brother Steve. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Motorsport. Vale, Mike Raymond. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.